1: Hey everybody, welcome back to Radical Musings. Today I'm recording this intro from my makeshift home studio. We're still in the middle of a global pandemic. COVID cases are soaring in Southern California, across the country, and I'm staying safe at home, and I hope you all are too, as much as anybody can, and wear a mask when you go out in public. It's how we protect everybody. So speaking of COVID and quarantine, I'm so lucky to have been introduced to Rabbi Mordecai Finley. He's a very well-known spiritual leader in the truest sense and meaning of the word rabbi. His guidance has been instrumental in helping me frame my perspective on this pandemic. He's taught me several techniques to keep me grounded and a lot less anxious. I was lucky enough to catch up with rabbi family just a couple of weeks before the 2020 presidential election when my anxiety level was at an all-time high. Just hearing his voice calmed me. He has a counseling practice, which focuses on wisdom, virtue, and managing consciousness, specializing in interpersonal relationships. To find out more about Rabbi Finley and how to contact him, please check out rabbifinley.com. And in the meantime, listen to our conversation. But you know what? You don't have to be Jewish to love this rabbi and his teachings, because uh, it's, he's also a therapist, and he's just a great human being to help us navigate life in a way where we're just doing it in, in a kind, healthy way. Welcome to Rabbi Mordecai Finley, who is a, a, a great teacher, healer in my life and my husband's life and for many, many people's lives. And um, Shana Tova, because it's the Jewish New Year. And thank you so much for joining us today when it's the new year and you're uh you have so much going on, obviously, which I'll be listening to later. Um I wanted to uh start off that you are really well, how did you become a rabbi?
2: First. You mean like what why
1: what made you decide to become a rabbi?
2: Yeah. Okay, well, I had a spiritual awakening in high school. I've actually spoken about this at high holiday services. I had a science teacher in high school, who uh, introduced me to the, uh, what I'll call the world of spirit. He himself had studied with a great spiritual teacher named Gurdjieff, um, or he, uh, the students of Gurdjieff. Gurdjieff died in 1948, if I'm not mistaken. Gurdjieff founded schools in the United States. My science teacher studied with them, and he was always on the lookout for promising high school students. Whom he could induct into the mysteries. Uh, looking back on it, it was probably not ethically appropriate. You know, I didn't get a parent permission slip or anything, but I took a class of his, and he scoped me out. And I'll tell you the story. I, I he used to, as it were, speak uh, as a language that carried two different meanings. And sometimes, when he would say the second meaning, he'd look at me, and I went. To him after school one day, and I said, You know, sometimes when you talk, I feel you have one message for the class and one message for me. And he said, "Uh, I'm glad you noticed. Uh, I said, So what's up? So he said, Well, there's uh, other things I want to talk to you about. And we talked a little bit, and I began meeting with him after school every week, all through my uh, junior year of high school and and my senior year. So I had a spiritual teacher for my last two years of high school, and that set, set, set me on a route.
1: You've been but you you're more than a rabbi you're also a, a therapist, a family counselor. I mean, so you you're that's what's that's what's so great about you and also um you're a deep thinker, super highly intellectual and um one of your best friends was Leonard Cohen. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And he was a member of this temple.
2: Yeah, he was. And I think Leonard and I, listen, Leonard's known a lot of rabbis and I think what he found in me was that depth. So, you know, when I went Onto the military, went on to college. I had no sense of becoming a rabbi. I was going to go into political science, become a professor. Uh, I chose the rabbinate because I wanted to work with people's souls. I didn't want to work in a legislature. And uh, so alongside, you know, the work of a rabbi, you know, running services and bar mitzvah classes and weddings and funerals and baby namings and so forth. I've always been a student and I've always studied deep things. And so when Leonard and I met, you know he found that he and i shared a life we shared a world so uh but it wasn't cuz i was a rabbi I mean, he liked it that yeah. i was a rabbi uh but that it, but he met plenty of rabbis he, yeah. he said um yeah. you know you're my rabbi
1: because you talk what 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 i love mostly is the is the work that you do with um couples counseling especially has helped <clears throat> enormously in my own relationships in life with especially with my husband but can you tell people what what is the theory of the four c's and what 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 it what your whole method is because it really really is uh so for me um life-changing and really important it's helped
2: a lot Well, the method is actually rooted in my experience uh, counseling people. And I I counsel very infrequently back in the old days. And uh, one thing I noticed more and more often was that people would explode at their spouses. And I would say, well, but what's going on? And they say, well, it's what I feel. It's what I feel. And then I would say, explain to me that you get to say what you feel but they don't, you get to unleash. But if they unleash, they've done something terrible. But if you unleash, you're just describing your feelings. So I came up with, you know, an informal uh, 10 contrarian commandments for, for marriages and all relationships, probably 20 years ago. And I just kept these 10 contrarian commandments in mind. In fact, that's one of the ways I met Leonard because when I officiated at, uh, Larry Klein and Luciana Sousa's wedding, they asked me, what are entertainment? I said, "You got some funny people. You don't need a, a band. And they said, okay, you're first. And so I formalized my 10 contrarian commandments and I presented them. They're kind of funny. And I got a big laugh. Leonard loved it. And then I, when I sat down, I got a line at my table of people to talk to me about the 10 contrarian commandments. And uh, so I've t- I taught my 10 contrarian commandments for a year. at services. I had seminars called the 10 contrarian commandments. Contrarian Commandments, and it was great. I had a book going. Um, so let me give you, I'll give you, from what I remember. Yeah. So there is a, uh, a phrase in Jewish moral philosophy called De'aga, which means worry or concern. And the idea is be concerned with who you are as a human being much more than you're concerned about who somebody else is. Just let it take up your time. There's so many things that concern you. The outside world, the stock market, the politics, everything concerns you. Do you concern you? Does your soul concern you? Does your inner behavior concern you? So there's a book that says, Daga is the first thing. So I remember at the time, there's a song going around called, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Yeah. Right? So I I said, worry, be sad. Now, why? Because sadness is from another book that a person should work around with a little bit of, of contrition, a little bit of sadness, that they're not using the gift of life as well as they could, mainly because they don't introspect. Again, they're so busy fixing everything out there, they're not actually looking within and asking, am I doing the best job? Am I doing it the right way? So I said, instead of don't worry, be happy, my first commandment is worry, be sad. Everybody laughed, and I explained it. Okay. And so I took these kinds of things. For example, one of them was uh, the secret to a good marriage is lack of communication. Now, I didn't make that out, but someone told it to me. And one thing I said to many couples, you guys talk too much. You know, just like say what you need to say and get out. You don't need to say the same thing every time because most arguments of couples are the same thing every time. So I had the whole 10. And then as I tried to write the book, Rosanna, what I realized was. It was a good speech. It was a good seminar. It was a good class, but it didn't really show the course of treatment. So I began to wonder. Okay, I got a good. I got a good thing. I got a good. You know, I got a good. I have a good act. I got a good seminar. But when they come to the seminar, they get the whole thing. So then I began to think. Okay, what is the actual methodology? And the first methodology, and this comes from my philosophic training, is virtue. So virtue means. You're not allowed to do destructive things to other people. You have to restrain. Now, virtue has many meanings, including character, et cetera. But the first meaning of virtue is do no harm. And our words hurt other people. That's why they get so mad. They get very upset. They get very defensive. They have to defend themselves. They feel they can't breathe because other people's words just come at us. And, they, and we feel like we're, we're, like we're strangling, falling off a cliff. So I would see this right in front of me. I would say, okay, first of all, how about if you will take three steps back, take a deep breath, and be virtuous. They would say, what do you mean by virtue? So I started to come, well, first of all, you know, knock off with the criticism. And then after a couple of years, criticism, complaining to the person about themselves, especially with the why questions, condemning, accusing, blaming, labeling, unfairly, comparing, to the, and I would do that for a while. And then something would happen, and I said, okay, I'm adding a fourth C, no escalating conflict, boom, four Cs. Okay, so I had my four Cs going, and I taught that for a while, and everybody who signed up and did it, their lives got better. And then I looked at the other side, the defensive person. I said, listen, they're angry. Stop explaining yourself. It does no good. And they would say, "But, but they're wrong. And I said, hey, you know what? After three tries, it makes no difference. So I started to look at the other side. I said, you know, quit justifying yourself to an angry person. Quit explaining yourself to an angry person. Then I came up with justify, explain, defend, deny, trying to give more information to an angry person. Bad Jedi. You
1: call it no bad Jedi. Bad Jedi. No, No bad Jedi. Yeah. So these
2: things came up in, I mean, I didn't start with a theory. I started with trying to make people better. And then I found out what worked. And then I found out minimizing anger in the four C's for one type of person or both. No bad Jedi on the other. Now, I want to really emphasize here to any of your listeners, I'm not saying you can't have the feelings. I don't want to take anybody's feelings away from them. I'm not saying that in front of your therapist, you can't pour out the most vile feelings, the most angry feelings, the most toxic feelings in the world. You should work that out with your therapist, but not with your spouse and not with your kid and not with your parent because it only makes things worse. If I thought it made things better, I'd say do it all the time. But I've never seen a case where anger, the four C's, and the bad Jedi makes things worse. It makes the person feel better because they got to unleash. It's called gratification. In all spiritual schools of thought, there's the temptation for gratification. But the temptation for gratification is a very short-term gain. I feel better. I let him have it. I got it off my chest. I say okay now that it's off of your chest and you put it into them now what because they have resentment and they might want payback but they don't even like you very much so what have you long term gained so this goes back to you know ancient schools of thought including hindu and buddhist uh, schools of thought which uh, which has to do with put aside gratification and look for the for the so called truly good so the four of and the bad jedi is both guiding people away from gratification and there's a few more steps, and then actually seeking the good. Well,
1: it's very helpful in my life, that's for sure, and it's constantly. Yeah, working mine out. too. <laughs> and do you mine practice too? It? I, I work. I, How do you do it with your family I, and your wife?
2: Every day, every day, yeah, every day I, I work it.
1: Will you explain uh, your? That's that's it, it's a it's a spiritual practice that you commit to. It's a commitment to yourself that you do yeah. it in the morning, mm-hmm. every morning. Can you explain that process?
2: Yeah. Well, I I. You know, soon after I wake up, I say to to myself, today I may have anger, but it's my anger. I won't unleash it on anybody else. Pretty much before I get out of bed. And I say it to myself. Mm -hmm. My wife says, says, who are you talking to? I'm talking (laughs) to myself again. Then I, you know, soon after I get up, I say, today I will not criticize anyone. I will not complain to anyone about themselves. In general, don't complain. I won't condemn anybody. I won't accuse, blame, label, unfairly compare, contempt with gestures of eyes and, uh, and hands. I just won't do it. I won't be petty. I won't be punitive. I won't engage in this escalating conflict. If I see after one or two rounds rounds, when I get anywhere, I'll just say, Hey, we're not getting anywhere. And, 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 you know, go to another room and always say, look, Not leave, you know, I I don't have to say this, but I've said to couples, no slamming of doors, no gnashing of teeth, pulling of hair. I'm leaving the marriage. we're getting divorced. You always say, I'll be back in half an hour. We're not getting anywhere. Now, my wife also knows the rules. Yeah. So if she sees that I'm like really upset about something, she'll say to me, hey, we're not getting anywhere. So, you know, we're stopping and I'll be back later. I go, wow, thank you. I mean, it's a real act of grace and kindness when another person says, I won't allow this to escalate because I love you. You love me, and one of us has to not be crazy right now. So, not <laughs> not escalating is an act of love. And then I have a, I have several more steps that I go through. You know, so I do my first, like, you know, like when I wake up, and then a little bit later, I go down to my my I, I call it my mat, my red mat, where I stretch, and I do the next chunk of the daily practice, which is the insight practice. So between the two, I take about maybe 5 minutes for the first one 15 minutes for the second one this is not meditation there's nothing overtly spiritual about it although sometimes i feel god's presence it really is higher self managing ego self then i might get onto more spiritual stuff but this is really managing the ego self
1: so i mean this really is a way a great way of life to 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 commit to and i know um i you know because of, of your work with uh, my husband and I, it has, it has really helped enormously. I mean, we're not great. Some days it's, you know, but we, we have, it has kind of seeped in now in a way that we didn't have six months ago. And I think quarantine has actually helped in mm-hmm. some for ways many because people, <laughs> yeah. it's been actually hell and then there's this other great thing that's been happening how have you been dealing with quarantine because i think everybody's kind of in crisis coming to you i know we certainly were in the first 6 months you
2: know well you know my my counseling has ticked up yeah but it's all on zoom yeah uh unfortunately uh for some people the the close proximity has unraveled people yeah um I've never seen as many consecutive uh, occurrences of domestic violence. Not bad, but someone like pushing somebody against the wall or yeah. grabbing somebody. Yeah, you know. I used to see it twice a year. Now I see it twice a month.
1: It's the collective consciousness. We're we're actually we're all if you're an empath too, like we're feeling the fear yeah. and what, the news yeah. that we just are bombarded yeah. with and the state of the world. So it's like energetically, it's pretty dark. And yeah. so, how do you? Am I, am I-
2: Yeah, Yeah. as you know, I don't watch the news. I don't watch images. I do not. I don't have. I don't even know what's on cable television. Wow. I don't watch. I I watch movies on Netflix and stuff. But
1: Mm
2: -hmm. I mean, I selectively read. If I look, if I start to read an article and I realize a person is trying to persuade me about how horrible somebody else is, I don't read it. Mm -hmm. I'll try to find someone who can actually tell me what was said and done, and I'll and I'll decide if they're horrible or not. Now, there's a few out there, but I don't want, I don't want anybody ratcheting me up.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I'll do that myself. But there's a lot of people in the business of ratcheting people up because they want clicks. And somebody else wants votes. Well, I'm not going to be part of their machine. I'm not a dummy, right? Right. So, so I'm going to make my own decision what's up. So that's part of it. And so what I do find is people who have the news on in the background and so, I mean, some of the most vicious fights, have because the news is on in the background. Uh-huh. you know you have a red person and a blue person in the same room, and someone throws out a comment: "Aren't they stupid?" Are you saying I'm stupid? Well, yeah, you are. And then boom, right? Right. So I say to a lot of people: turn off the TV first of all, and number two, if you want and to listen talk
1: about to pod- podcasts,
2: I've listened to highly recommended <laughs> podcasts, and about halfway in, I thought to myself, you know. You know, you can always tell when a person is debating because they leave out half the facts because they're trying to persuade the listener. So I'll be listening to a really intelligent person and then they say stuff and I go, wow, you're leaving out this huge thing. I say, oh, because they're trying to persuade the audience. So that's how you know when it's debate. You leave out half the facts. You build theories on an unstable foundation of facts and kind of swindle people. That's what debating is. Mm-hmm. So I just turn it off. I said, look, I know you got some good information that I don't have, but I don't want to be swindled. Will you so watch you...
1: the debate? Will you watch? Oh the... no, I, you're, I, you're not even going to. You won't watch the debate of. Uh, I don't
2: watch the debates. They're not debates. They're just they're just gotcha moments. I haven't probably watched a debate in thirty years. Really? Wow. Wow. Because they're not debates. What are you going to learn from it? Hmm. You going to change your vote, Rosanna?
1: <laughs> I'm not changing my vote at this point. Well, my I don't think you're going to change
2: your vote. So. <laughs> it's not a debate, you know, I mean, the, the, you know, there are issues and we may have decided, I mean, for me personally, there's a lot more importance what happens locally than at the federal level. I, I actually think. And so I'm, I'm very interested in the local scene. As soon as the holidays are over, I really want to get in. I want to get involved in the local scene, all kinds of things I have in my mind. You know, we have some of the, most dedicated educators in the world in the LAUSD. All my kids went through LAUSD. I got some of these teachers very well. Mm-hmm. They want to provide a good education to everybody. Mm-hmm. But everybody, not everybody comes out with a good education. So I went down to volunteer once. I went down to the local middle school, and I said, look, I have a PhD, I speak Spanish, and I'd like to help. They didn't want me. you know. And, and uh, one time the uh, superintendent of schools was on uh, 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 KPPC Larry Mantle. Uh, he had him on. I called in. I said, "Hey, uh, I can really help." And the, and the, he said, "Yeah, we've heard this before. That." And I said, "Well, what is it?" And so, you know, he was uh, Rumen Cortinas. I think he was on his way out. He said, "Look, I'll tell you what's up. The minute parents like you come in, you show us that certain that we don't actually need as many teachers as much as we need retired PhDs, and that's scary for them." Hmm. He said, "So part of the problem is not what's best for the kids, but what's best for the teachers." You know, either I heard it from him or somebody in the system. So I went, oh, my God, I'm such a dummy. I get it. Hmm. Right. Of course, they don't want me in that system. What if I become a popular guy? You know, what if I like the Pied Piper of the middle school and they all want to study English with me? That's not going to be good for them. It's good for kids.
1: Terrible. That's so what I realized. It's so sad it's that way. But you well, have a school. Like- You're, well, you have Hebrew school within your school. Yeah, we have, a, we
2: have a Hebrew school. But, you know, it's I, I, we do what I can. But I'm saying you and I both know. Yeah. That the key to it is how kids feel about them. And I'm really interested in teenagers, how they feel about themselves on all levels. You know, I have two teenage daughters, and you know they both went through the army, and we've had deep discussions about what it of the, feels Jew- like the
1: the the F- in the Israeli army, right?
2: Yeah, both were in the Israeli army. One was in the intelligence corps, and one was in uh, a combat medic. But they both, you know, right up, I mean, shared what it means to be in a patriarchal environment, what it means to be a woman, kind of struggling for for standing what it means to deal with inappropriate men all the time. Especially my daughter, uh who's on a you know a combat base way out in the boonies. And um
1: Yeah, but you, you wouldn't want a, to mess a, with a, her. A, a. <laughs> she could what? she could she did you don't want to mess with Avigal. <laughs>
2: oh no she's no a, a for she has a blue belt in Brazilian jujitsu. She's she's bona fide tough. And she went through other training yeah. and so forth. But 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 the main thing is um what they didn't, I mean, as much as Mirav and I tried to, to like, you know, um, raise the girls healthy with a good sense of self, including teaching them martial arts. So anytime a, a guy was inappropriate, they knew what to do. There still is something that women go through that men don't get unless you're really close to your wife and daughters and they tell you. Hmm. So I'm very concerned with the experience of young women and they need to be, I mean, there's a specific kind of empowerment that needs to take place, starting with the body, how you feel about yourself in your body. And then there's kids, you know, there's minority kids. And, and there's a, all kinds of things that begin at such subtle levels. I think I, think I have a grass following. I mean, there's a limited amount that I can do as an old white male, but there's something I can do. Yes. I can maybe train people and there may be some one-to-one people. Yeah. So I, I really want to make things better.
1: I love that uh, idea. And It per- would be wonderful for you to do. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, what are the biggest challenges that you're facing personally right now for yourself?
2: You know, like everybody else, I you know, as you know, I, I, I've been working on a on this book, getting all this together. I finally finished it. Yay! You
1: know, like oh gosh, that's great. I
2: got the first job done. So right now, I'm doing, I'm tweaking and kind of combing it through, and then, you know, within a, I'd say within a week, I'll hand it off to an editor and so I got 30 more books than me so yeah there's that and I'm aging I'm going to be 66 so I I really work you know first two hours of my day I just came down from my elliptical to be with you is working out you two, do you, um, so do
1: you do it for two hours elliptical
2: I mean I do no no I do uh like a sitting a sit, okay. hard yeah and then I do my agility workout on my mat sit-ups abs core all that then I do the elliptical and then I go to and my you gym- 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 when it opens up, yeah. When my club opens up, I go to MMA and jujitsu and all that. So a lot of it is staying vital and healthy. You know, I, one thing I've, in all my reading is the more you're active, um, the better you're going to age. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I, I quip sometimes. You know, I'm as old as the youngest guy I fight. <laughs> That's sometimes what my quip is. So when some big 25-year-old guy wants to go with the old black belt, I say, let's go, man, because you're going to make me young. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm dealing with that. Uh, empty nesting. Yeah. I got to tell you, I did not know how hard that would be.
1: When your kids left, the, oh, the, I never cried so oh, hard wow. in my life when I dropped my kid off at college. It just it was like, it was so, yeah. she was like, bye. I remember when I was a kid, when Zoe was four and I brought her to her first nursery school and she was like, bye, mama. I go to school and all these other mothers were standing there and their kids were hanging onto their legs and they were crying because they didn't want to go in. And I was so sad, like, oh. Like, my kid is not hanging on to my leg. Like, she just wanted to go. She wanted to leave. And the teacher said, no, you did a good job. Like, that's, good that, job. that yeah. means that she was felt independent and okay to go. Bye, Mama. I yep. go to school. It was, yep, exactly yeah. exactly right. But then yeah, when she we, went to college. We, 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 uh, we, we, uh,
2: yeah, well, see, remember, my, my eldest son was in and out. He finally moved to Israel. And then my second son joined the Marines. He was in three deployments, uh, two wars. Whoa. Uh, our third daughter went off to Israel far, far away. And our fourth daughter went up to Israel, first France, then Israel, far, far away. So like, they were like gone, gone. Uh, I mean, thank God for WhatsApp and Skype and, and all that. But you know, something when you wake up in the middle of the night, and you want to just hug your kid and they're not there, especially when my son was in combat. I mean, it, it was, it was like he was in combat, but I was going through hell. You, you know what I mean? I would tell him that he says, dad, I was going to get shot at. I was I know, I know, but it's a dad's hell. You know, it's a parent hell. Uh, So working through the fact that my kids are far away, my uh, one son lives in Israel. One son lives in Vancouver. Uh, Abigail's home for a while till her next thing. And Shuli lives in Israel, although she's home for a vacation. So what am I going through? Letting go of the kids. Yeah. For sure. And uh, that's something that I think everybody around our age is going through. And, you know, no one writes about this. I think there's a book from years ago by Judith Vort called Necessary Losses. I never read it, but I thought, well, maybe she talks about this because I don't ever remember telling me people the hell of becoming an empty nester. So On I one was going to do
1: a show called Empty Nest Syndrome, which was actually uh, a, starts when the the mom drops her kid off at college, and um yeah. and meets another mom, and they get into like you know crazy things because it really it, it it impacted my life in a huge way, and then oh it never yeah, ends. It's
2: a deep thing. It's a deep thing. We need to talk about it more.
1: Um, I wanted I know because you are Jewish and you were in the army, you were in the, a Marine, and all this stuff, but you it, it, you're not. You're very fair as a human being, and it's not like you want to annihilate Palestinians. That's not where you come from.
2: I'm in favor of a two-state solution. I don't hate anybody.
1: Yes, that's and that's 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 really important to put out there that there are many, many, many Jews who feel that way.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then there are you know, and and on the very far other side, there are Jews that are anti-Israel and think yep. Israel should 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 be obliterated. So. Yeah. So there's haters everywhere. Yeah, um, But listen, I, I went into the Marine Corps you know, for, me, for many reasons, but I'll, I'll, I'll just share two that I'll share with you. One of them was I came up during the Vietnam era, my um, lie and all that. And I talked to my Jewish friends. They said, well, you hate the army in America and the whole thing. I said, well, why don't you join up and make it better? You got such a big mouth, you know, go make a difference. Oh, my God, I never did it. And I thought to myself, look, I was 18 and innocent. And I thought to myself, well, if I want to make the American military better, join up and do it. So I was so naive, I did it. Huh. If I want to make the military better, I will join up and be one of the guys that helped make it better.
1: Did you? Okay, so that,
2: yeah, yeah. I think I did. I think I made a da- look How? Especially as I gained rank. I mean, when I was a sergeant, what I could do, this is after Vietnam. Right. But I, cor- I could correct small injustices that I saw around me. Because I had a rank. I saved a couple of guys from terrible situations, you know, where they got in a fight or something or got into a hassle with an officer. And I just walked up and I said, Hey, Lieutenant, I'm his Sergeant. I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. You know, he'll get what's coming to him. I got it from here. If I wouldn't have walked up and did that, he would have he got thrown into the But ranks. you didn't, you <laughs>
1: didn't give him what's coming to him. Like that, no, like, just, I, I because it was very the- abusive. A lot of it, right. That when you went through
2: it? You know, boot camp was abusive. Yeah. I mean, look, boot camp was supposed to be abusive. They are preparing us for war. I would say outside of boot camp, it was strict. Mm-hmm. Very strict. More strict than you can possibly imagine. But I, I'll, I'll be very honest. It was it was fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I was, you know, my best buddy was black. In fact, I lived with three black guys when I moved off base. It, if it was racist, it wasn't like white cracker, Southern racism. The Navy was racist, by the way. It was a racist institution. Uh, the Marine Corps wasn't. The Marine Corps really was based on, can you perform? And if you could perform, you got respect. But what happened was, including my best buddy, is people would drink. Hmm. That was the biggest enemy, was hmm. drinking. So like I had a buddy who had a few drinks, and then you get into an officer, and they, the officers will not take anything from a, from a junior Marine. So I'm just saying, as a sergeant, I could step in and say, Lieutenant, I got this one. Let me, let me take care of it. And you were but-
1: never a drinker yourself?
2: Never a drinker. I drank exactly once when I got to Okinawa. Exactly. I went to the men's, the, they call it the EM club, the Enlisted Men's Club. Didn't like it <laughs> first and last time. Uh, yeah, the Marine Corps was a good experience. You know, if you if you don't drink and you don't do drugs and you follow orders and do your job well, you'll go up. There's nobody in your way. Uh, but do you think now it's
1: the same in America? Because oh,
2: it's, really? It's better now. Way really? better now. I mean- my son was in for, uh, four and a half years. And I actually, when he came back from Afghanistan, I, uh, his ship that took him there on the way back, they unloaded the aircraft squadron in Hawaii and they invited family to come in and bunk in on their way from Hawaii to, uh, Camp Pendleton. So I, I flew out to Hawaii and I, I, I came back the next eight days. And I, I lived down with the junior Marines in you know, Charlie company, first battalion, fourth Marines. And, uh, you know, what can I tell you? You know, my, you know I asked my son about it, and, and one thing I noticed, they're far better trained, much higher quality of people because you have to have a be a high school graduate with at least a B average, um, highly competent. I didn't notice any racism, prejudice, none of that. Huh. I mean, really. And I talked to guys, and guys said, it's all about competence. And I can I, – I, I, right. I, I don't know anybody who would say anything different today Really? And if they said it's racist, it often means they, they met a racist guy. Yeah. But as an institution, let me just give you an example. So you would think, oh, Marine Corps, like anti-Jewish, whatever. You know, they're anti-Semites. I said, look, I'm sure they're anti-Semites. But when I was in boot camp, about uh, uh, the third day of boot camp, the, the drill sergeant calls out of his duty head. And he says... Uh can we cuss here,
1: Rosanna? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> he goes uh,
2: all Hebrew motherfuckers report to the duty office. So I go, What? <laughs> and so I'll look looking at each other. I go, All right. So I pound on the door. Sure, one Hebrew motherfucker, report, sir. And he steps in and he basically told me where the Jewish services were and you know, where to be and how to catch the bus. He says, you know, we don't have services here, we have the Navy base. And, the, and and um and as I went out, he says, I want to tell you something. I said, Yes, sir. He said, Um, in general, a religious marine is a better Marine. And I'm glad you're a religious Jew. I said, sir, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Now, on the (laughs) other hand, in my platoon of 80 guys, someone did call me a dirty Jewish blah, 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 blah. And we got into a fight. Mm -hmm. Okay. He called me a name. I jumped on him. They pulled me out, sent me up to the barracks. I thought, well, I'm going to the brig now. So, but who was the Sergeant of the day was was our black drill instructor. So I go in. He's just finally going to the brig. I said, "Yes, sir. Pack your bag." And he said, "So what happened?" So I say, "No excuse, sir. That's what you're supposed to say." He doesn't well, know really what happened. So, sir, well, Private McKelvin called this Private a Dirty Jewish motherfucker, sir. He said, "Why don't you kill that cracker motherfucker?" I said, oh, "I said, sir, the other private had my hands behind my back." He said, "Next time you kill him." I said, "Yes, sir." He says, "Okay, go back to the tune. So, oh my god! So yeah, there's this one guy, and then I jumped on him. <laughs> I think I think my. Uh, Drill Instructor Sergeant Simmel wanted to give me a medal if he could. So, what was it like? Look, I was a I was a white Jewish guy. I didn't feel any anti-Semitism. My best buddies were black, and the only ones who got in trouble were the ones who were defiant, drank, and weren't with the program. And they would probably say themselves. That was when I was in. When my son was in, same thing. I can't say what the Navy, Air Force, Army is like. I can only tell you what the Marine Corps is like. By the way, I've done a lot of research on it, and you know, while there's always anecdotes. Yeah. There's hardly any evidence that it's it's uh whether what's the word they use, a uh, systemic. And I I just I I I don't I don't believe our military systemically racist because there are so many uh NCOs and officers of color in the military.
1: Well, we're certainly seeing um and we in especially in the last months, um the total disrespect for the military. And I actually never felt like I kind of didn't care either way about the military Oh, whatever. And then I did, you know, this, this thing that's been happening, especially from our president, how he's, he's just really disrespects um, our military. It really, it's really, it really bothered me.
2: Yeah. You know, uh, it, it certainly bothers me too, but yeah, you, you and I have spoken about this as a certain person. When I know that somebody is vulgar, temporarily temp, uh temperamentally unfit I don't get re-enraged every time mm-hmm. I just I just put them in the box of vulgar and temp- t- temperamentally unfit whatever they do next it's like they're in they're they're in the box where I put them if to, if a person has something noble and out of character and changes yeah I'll let people change but I know a lot of people get outraged and they say what do you think that he said this I said I think that's the same guy from from five years ago that's what I think aren't you mad I said what good would it do me to be mad? I don't. What do you want out of me? You want me to be? Why you want me to walk around with rage? With a guy with heart disease my age, I don't want to. So, so it's a choice. My choose
1: We choose. I, we choose the way we want to live in our lives. And I mean, I do. As you know, it's a big issue with my husband too. I'm very involved with news. I watch the news. I'm very enraged by it, and it and it does affect me. And I can't sleep at night with what's going on in yeah. our country right now.
2: Um I mean. You want to know who got disrespected? If you look at the police, you know, who are like guarding courthouses and they're getting spit at and the finger and people screaming in their faces and they can't do anything.
1: Well, we, but, I look but at we, them, we don't want well, I mean, no got- more knees on necks and killing uh, Afro- uh, course, m- black people. I, I got, know, that anymore. guy
2: that, that guy is at least guilty of third degree murder. But I'm talking about, the hundreds of
1: t- you know, like they, they, they need to yeah. be charged with murder. They shot her or- in her own bed sleeping, right?
2: Uh, she wasn't in bed, but we, we can talk okay. about that later. But I'm, I'm making one point. Whatever, whatever few rogues you have, the vast majority of the footage that I've seen on, you know, like now and then I'll see a clip on YouTube or something, is they're standing there being custom spit at, and they're not responding. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's good training. Now, there's always going to be rogues. There's rogues everywhere.
1: I think we got to get um, the white supremacists and the background checks. Anybody who has that kind of racist, you know, value system in their being cannot be a police officer. End of story. I, I completely agree. Yeah. End of story. Yeah. absolutely.
2: Anybody who has, doesn't fundamentally respect all citizens equally should not be given the honor of protecting us. Absolutely. A hundred percent.
1: Yeah. Cause it's gotten really horrible. Um, I kind of, you know, uh, when I had an experience of uh, doing a movie called "The Wall" about the Jews in the Warsaw Ghetto, a four-hour miniseries years ago, and we sh- actually shot in Poland, and I, we went to Auschwitz. Um, so, I, like, I can say I don't, I don't know how many people <laughs> can say this. Like, I have been to Auschwitz ten times. Mm. I- I went I kept going back to this place where the Holocaust really did take place where mountains of little kids shoes and eyeglasses and hair like a mountain of people's hair it's just you never seen anything like this and um and then the and walking into what was the gas chambers and you can hear the voice I could feel it so much and I saw this picture of a girl my family was wiped out in Poland mm-hmm. And I I, there was not a name or there was her just her face. It's my family. She was my family. She was my family. Even if she wasn't of my blood DNA family, she was my family. And I really had this profound experience. And another experience I had was going to Israel and being in front of that wall and I just like stood in front of that wall and burst into tears. And it was like sobbing and like, where's this coming from? What is this? What and so these moments, you know, where I was like, I guess I'm I guess I am Jewish, <laughs> you know. And so, but I couldn't find, I couldn't find it where it really was for me because I have to say I also like sometimes going to a church, like because it's beautiful and lighting a candle. It just feels okay to me, you know. It feels it's not like religion; it just feels like lighting the light and spiritual. And so, when I met you at your temple uh, and your teachings and the way you te- speak, it just made me value and honor and loved the Jewish religion in a way that I hadn't before I met you.
2: Well, thank you. Well, um, you know, we share something in that the Holocaust deeply affected me as well. I went to Israel when I was 17, Had a, also had a very deep experience at uh, the wall in Yad Vashem. Um, I lived in Israel for a year right after the military. I lived on a kibbutz, went to Jerusalem uh, several times. And one thing that made me sad on the kibbutz was there was no Judaism. It was you know, workers environment, it was socialist, it was Zionist, but there's no Judaism. They were, as it were, post Judaism. And I remember thinking to myself, this is not workable. Because unless you're in Israel speaking Hebrew and the Jewish calendar is part of the national calendar, this is not going to keep people Jewish. And I had some conversations with people about it, and you know, they were they would say uh, you know they don't care about Judaism. So, uh, you know, when I came back from Israel and began college and had that revelation, I wanted to be a rabbi, one of my uh, goals was, I think it was, it was three. Uh, number one, um, I remember how much I was transformed uh, by boot camp. And I saw other guys, you know, go in one way, come out the other. And I got a sense that religion ought to be about transformation. It ought to be about, you know, taking the soul one place and bringing it to another, especially with virtue, consciousness, wisdom, and so forth. So I thought to myself, is there a way for there to be a spiritual training to make people wise, conscious, kind, good, etc.? That was one thing. The second thing was because of the Holocaust, what I wanted to do, my wife and I wanted to do, was create a synagogue that would be joyous, that would make people happy, that would not try to like, you know, kind of get involved in the ratcheting up of political ideas, but really directed toward the soul. So we, I'm glad to say we have a very politically diverse synagogue. I think we're exemplary in that way. But what we share is a focus on creating depth and joy. And that's been our focus. I think when you walked in, I think you, number one, saw that I'm not trying to sell you, like, keep kosher, keep Shabbos. I was trying to say, hey. It was a better it, way to it live. It reminded me of my
1: childhood because we lived in a commune when I was a kid. So there was like this this thing called the lodge, the place, the lodge, where everybody gathered. And that's what, when I, as soon as I walked in, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, the furniture around, the, just like very cozy, yeah. comfortable. Yeah. And it reminded me of, of of my childhood when I walked yeah, in Yeah,
2: I mean, my wife very much wants to make, you know, a cafe where people could sit and hang out. We don't have pews. We can organize the chairs however we want. So we intentionally wanted to create a not uptight, low-key, warm environment. That was that was by intention. And part of it was I want people to love being Jewish and to feel joy and safety. I don't it's not gonna sound right, but that's my that's my best revenge for the Holocaust is to create uh Jews who love their Judaism. I there's nothing else I can do. I can't change that. I can fight evil in the world, but as far as from the Jewish perspective, it's you know, repopulate with people who love Judaism. And look, I think a lot of rabbis are doing fantastic work. I mean, I'm, I'm doing like Finley's work. I, I, you I do got your my own learning. way, but you
1: also teach the yeah. Bible.
2: Yeah, I, yeah, I and love you teaching study Bible. the Bible. Right? Yeah, I do a Bible class on Monday. I used to. I helped found a seminary, so I've taught almost every topic in Judaism for about 20 years. I uh, 15 years. I uh, helped train rabbis. And we had many rabbis there, and I think each rabbi has his or her own vision of what it ought to be. And I really believe in this pluralism. I really believe in a kind of a free market of Judaism where, where each synagogue, each rabbi says, here's my version, and anybody should be able to find the version that speaks to them. So I'm not saying that what we do is the answer. I'm saying it's an answer. And for anybody who likes it, join in. Uh, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll feed your soul. So that's how we met. You came and you enjoyed the teaching. You came on Shabbos. You saw how happy, you like the vibe. That's what pretty much what Leonard said, by the way, when someone said, Leonard, why do you like it there? He said, it's Not uptight. <laughs> that was just, that's what that's what that's what he said. That's why he kept coming back. Uh yeah, so that's uh so you you're you're a poster girl for Orator, Rosanna.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean I I, I do I have I've brought a lot of friends. To hear your teaching, especially about you know you, the the psychology, the the um, wisdom and virtue classes, which are for me um, really important. And you have a podcast, right?
2: You know, I was. Um, uh, thank you. I was uh, from my from yeah. I should from my uh, uh, wisdom and virtue class. I recorded the first few because so many people wanted that direction in the wall of virtue so i put those three up
1: where would people get that so because it's it's worth listening to i have to say it's really important i mean i i listen oh, to it over oh, and over sometimes that. you know like just because oh, i need to
2: thank you for that uh tattoo uh, it uh, into a now oh, I
1: sorry tattoos no yeah
2: uh i'm gonna redo them now that i have a better mic and a better sense of what i'm after uh i'm just i'm gonna actually call it the name of my book which is uh good people bad habits and i'm gonna just do a like a series of 10 but if you type Rabbi Finley podcast, it's on what's called Spreaker. S P R, and then E-A-K-E-R, Spreaker. Okay. Um, it is not well publicized. It's not. It's not where it should be on Spotify and everything else. We're just going to wait to get on the other side of high holidays. And, when the book comes um, out,
1: maybe we'll get you know. We'll get a- yeah,
2: exactly. It, it'll it'll be it'll be the book will be at the editor. I'll redo the podcast. I'll do the right social media. We just got to get through the high holidays and. um Kind of get back to a regular group. That's been the other tough thing is uh, as a synagogue, not being able to meet because for many people, Or HaTorah was coming on Saturday, coming to classes. And since we've had to close the building, uh, you know, we've had to just figure a different way to be a a synagogue. So that's been stressful. Was our staff working remote, um, doing you know, putting together a remote Hebrew school? I mean, this has been. You know, it's where well, the of-
1: high holidays are now, and we're, as we speak, this weekend and everything. And um, and I think you're doing really well. Thank and you. We, watched, and there's it. A lot we of- watched it last week, and we, we it was good. Yeah, thank you. I have to say, I mean, it was like, okay, I'm going to admit, like I said to Todd, I said, I like what, do, going and watching the temple and from bed in my pajamas. Is that disrespectful? I mean, no, not it at all.
2: <laughs> not at all.
1: I was like, and maybe I kind of watched it all day and it was like good and no, you know, I, had it in I, my listen,
2: I don't think we're both, I don't think we're going back. I think there's gonna be some number of other, we're gonna have to keep broadcasting. Uh we found right. a great company who's gonna, as you saw, with moving cameras. You know, Mirab had her i Yeah. Mirab was the director of photography. She was saying go here, go here. So oh, she was great. So she was the DP. And, great uh, and the music was-, was
1: beautiful she's your wife Mirab. your your other half is an, a musician and so the music is so be- that's what i really love is also the music in the in their temple is like it's hip it's really cool it's yeah.
2: wonderful yeah, she range. she chooses and arranges everything and it's really phenomenal you know they rehearse here in the other room oh. in the living room and uh, nice. oh my god it's like it, it's it's their voices are beautiful. I think I, I think the angelic choir shuts up and says, okay, everybody shut up and listen to, to them. Yeah. You know, that's, I, think it's, I think it's that good. But anyway, as to your point, yeah, we're not going back. What we realize is the country has gotten used to um, watching from home. Some cluster will want to be there on, you know, assume we're going to get back to our building, Startup Saturday Services. We'll have to continue the online side.
1: I feel sorry for kids, though. This is hard for kids to not connect in a way. I mean, in this in this way, where, during this time, it's like there's this incredible disconnect, and then there's this deep connection. It's very strange that we're finding we this whole way. We'll, but I miss hugging. I miss being with people. I really do, and I feel so sorry for the kids right now. It's just, it's just yeah, too much. It's, it's, it really I mean, is.
2: Yeah, it's very tough, and you know we've. Yeah, it's very tough. So, look, with the Hebrew school, we'll have to do it online. Uh, um, It was hard getting kids after school anyway because they're so tired. So, we're going to figure out a way to get maybe like one Sunday afternoon a month, get everybody together at the park and really hang out and hug. Oh,
1: that's a neat idea.
2: But remember, a lot of families are very happy. Hebrew school is at 4 o'clock. I don't have to run you from school. I don't have to run home, get you a snack, run to the Hebrew school. So, parents are, are they both miss and i think if we can provide a social element um and do that
1: but that's uh, that's that's in your community um i'm you know cuz i work really closely with dr hagar the violence intervention program we're seeing such a surge of as you said in the beginning a little domestic violence um and people who are not able or just can't leave their kids at home and and don't even can't even afford the computer to do it and and it's that's that's where that is, we need help. That's
2: one of the the hugest inequities it's that terrible. that we have, that we have done in such a blase, nonchalant fashion, yeah. and never addressed it. Working people who can't leave their kids at home, and I and I'm waking, I'm like I'm waiting for the governor, the mayor, yeah, be like we, you know, we're putting out a national call. We'll run you through a registry, like. I would have gone to someone's house if they would have said, "Hey, my kids are gone. Let's do a background check." You sit there, do your work, and be in my home for three hours. I would have gone over there. I could do my work from anywhere, right? Right. But like, I'm waiting for the state, for the city, for the county, somebody to say, "Let's mobilize and help working people who're leaving their kids at home." And Rosanna, I got it's one of my greatest disappointments in our local leadership in this. The most vulnerable people, in my opinion, weren't protected the most by what, from my perspective would have just been organizational. Yeah. You would have volunteered, I would have volunteered, everybody you know would have volunteered. Yeah. Just say, yeah, I'll watch your kids while you work. I'll I'll do the 9 to 12 shift, somebody else does the does the 12 to 3 and I'll just make sure your kids are safe and, you know, well behaved and I'll do my work. What what would have been hard about that? So
1: all these kids are just slipping through the cracks and missing out on an education right now and um it's yeah. it's it's really frightening.
2: Yeah and that that's why I think our work when this is over of catching kids back up, you know, what I hope is the opportunity to tutor, they're gonna they're gonna make it more streamlined and welcome people. Hmm. Because the couple of times I've tried it, I just felt a wall went up. And uh I thought, Well, I have so much to offer a, a kid and it's as if they wouldn't let me in there. So
1: Oh really? And not the only one. Huh.
2: I was I wasn't the only one.
1: because of this time, because there's they it's they've built this this uh, wall right now in in the last uh, seven seven no, months. No,
2: I'm talking about when my kids were in middle school. This oh, you're talking been... about middle. Oh,
1: sorry, I missed. I'm talking yeah, back I'm in
2: those days when I tried. Oh, in those you know, days. T- okay. Yeah, they just. But now I think after COVID, we have a huge common responsibility to catch the kids back up. Yeah. And so we need almost like a volunteer corps. I think it has to be run at the local level. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, find the kids who are behind in whatever area. Um, get the volunteers, vet them as quickly as possible, run background checks. And, and I, I just, I think thousands, you know, once libraries are open again, once churches and synagogues are open and meeting places are open, like, wouldn't that be a great way to use our space during the day? Yes. Is have tables all around the sanctuary filled with, you know, kids that need some backup work. Like, we're willing to do it. Yeah, we're, oh. we're, we're ready. And tutoring, so as soon like as
1: helping with come- the tutoring, yeah. oh, no, that's be amazing.
2: Yeah, no, we, we hope, that this building turns into a resource center for many things. Uh, but one of them would be a, uh, a tutoring center for anybody, uh, English, uh, English second language of any age uh, kids who want to get caught up. Um, we have, especially people want to run pro as you know, programs for uh, uh, young women, um, for the kinds of things my, my daughters have told me about, about, um, Um, kind of reading situations, how to carry your body, basic self-defense. So kinds of things where, you know, as much work as we've done, many women still feel powerless and don't know. They can say no strong and actually put an elbow behind it because they've never thrown an elbow. You know, sometimes when a girl comes into our martial arts studio, you know, I'm I'm one of the senior black belts and I, I sometimes take the new person. First thing I say is, have you ever thrown a punch? And they say, no. I say, have you ever been punched? They say, no. I say, in the next couple of days, you're going to throw a punch. You're going to be punched because you can't be a martial artist if you've never felt it and you never delivered it. At some point, I'll say, put on the gloves and I want you to hit me. Okay. And I'm not going to hit you light. Right. And they go, I say, okay, now you're, you're still alive. Now they're both like, oh, I'm going to get hit. I say, okay, you lived. So part of martial arts is you can take a punch and you can throw a punch. And some of the women who come through, they say, oh my God, I can't believe it. I've gone through my whole life. I want to protect myself. I've never thrown a punch. I never got punched. So I know it may sound strange on Rosanna's Radical Musing think, podcast, but
1: <laughs> no. I, I, think I think if I think if, that, if I had my daughter now, I mean, as little, I think, and I talked to your daughter Avigal about doing this. Is is self defense is um, a prerequisite to growing up in, in well, a, just a as a woman our in America now. You school. have to learn to protect yeah. yourself
2: our daughter Abigail wants to actually launch a coaching thing for young women. And one of them is, I love it. you know, walk tough, be tough, um, not feel bad, not feel guilty. She says there's so many things that go on, you know, between ages 15 and 25 that messes with, with girls' minds and they need she to be, be tough, strong in so many ways. And she's now, uh, you know, she studied with me, different schools of thought. She's going to launch a website. And that's 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 her life mission, at least for the next 10 kind years. It's,
1: I'm excited about that. I'm really okay.
2: – that, I'll let you know it. when it happens. We talked I, I mean, about you, it when
1: I came and did yeah, – you, you
2: you, Yeah, you were at our house, and we had a very inspiring discussion, and, and you said, let's go. I, I think I she's, she
1: should do that because I think there's a there's a, a, such a need for, for the young, young girls who are being especially caught up in the internet and you know, on the other side of yeah. it is some crazy person yeah. who's pretending to be a fourteen-year-old girl, and they're actually yeah. a predator. And it's, uh, it's. Uh, I, I, I want our girls to be able to protect themselves from that.
2: Yeah, our, our, the, when our daughters were teenagers, they got me a t. Uh, they got when they were kids, like in teenagers, they got me a t-shirt that said, "Guns don't kill people. Fathers with daughters kill people." So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. Okay, well, I love digging into the why and what motivates people, and okay. and I want to know what your why is. Well, uh, what I compels
2: I'll, I'll
1: have what compels you to do. do what you do? What compels you to do what you do?
2: Um, I think I um, I feel touched by God first of all. I truly do, and I feel my work is to bring healing to humankind. And then I've asked myself, what's my thing? Well, one thing is I want people to calm down. And I want them to calm down interpersonally to make room for love. I want us to calm down as a nation so we can listen to each other and find a way forward. So calming down is a tactic for depth to arise. That's one thing we really haven't, spoken about is i call my path wisdom uh, virtue wisdom rationality and depth many people can't access depth because they're not quiet because they don't have virtue so they're squabbling with others they can't figure things out because they haven't learned how to think and be rational they don't have deep wisdom they have opinions but not wisdom which are very different from each other and then there's access to depth and for me, depth, the realm of the soul, has at least four dimensions, as you, you've heard me say many times, love, justice, truth, and beauty. Below that, there's what you call the good in the deepest philosophic sense and the holy. So I'm thinking a person who can be virtuous, rational, wise, and deep is one version of a whole human being. And as I worked this out through high school with my teacher, Jack, what I saw in the military, what I saw in the kibbutz, my life as a rabbi, being married, you know, for decades, raising kids. I've, you know, what motivates me is, is human flourishing. I, I feel, um, uh, uh, I'll give you an example. I, I've been working with a couple that began with, well, they came to me in a very bad place. I mean, things in tatters.
1: Was that us? was I mean, I, <laughs> that?
2: Not no, not you guys. You guys, you guys <laughs> no, we
1: go in and out. <laughs>
2: if you if if you heard this story you would give yourself great you would give yourself A's compared to another couple that i walked through for the past month oh gosh and uh and lawyers and court appearances and all this stuff and i i kind of like got them without being pushy to the point we we let go of the lawyers we let go of the stuff we're going to both do virtue we're going to slowly go this thing together they thanked me so, we want to stand to your guidance. We want to do it your way. Your way is way better than the others. And I wanted to say, well, I paid a little bit of my rent. Okay, which is, I got, I have to pay rent for the, for the space I take up here. You know, for how many years I'm going to be taking up space on this earth, I have rent to pay. And I, my rent is paid by doing good. And so, when a couple says, says to me, You saved our marriage, you got us back together. You know, our kids are not going to grow up with, you know, absent up. fathers, absent mothers. And they say, you had a lot to do with it. My first thought is, well, I, I I did what I'm supposed to do. That's my duty. So what motivates me is duty. I have a duty to bring healing to humankind. That's my duty. I'm going to do it as a rabbi. So I'll start with Jews. But as you know, it's open to everybody.
1: Yeah, it is open hope- to everybody. But everybody should know it's—you don't have to be a Jew to c- come to the, your teachings in the yeah, temple. It's no. pretty incredible. We have
2: a we have a large number of non-Jews. Yeah, uh, uh, come. Yeah. So that's my that's my core thing, and so that's why you hear me kind of veering away from politics. I, you know, I have, I have strong opinions, but it doesn't make any difference because smarter than people have. More, you know, that's what they do for a living is develop political opinions. I like to say with what I do best, which is virtue. Rationality, wisdom, and depth. I'm an expert, so I would rather tie spend time talking about what I'm an expert at, and let other people talk about what they're experts at. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I want to thank you, Rabbi Finley. Um, oh, it's been a pleasure. I always, I always,
2: <laughs> our conversations are always great. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, no, this was Manushtana. great. Actually, this is different. Yeah. And,
1: um, and um, have a it's a Jewish New Year. And wait, wait, before you go, what is the Jewish New Year? What is the Jewish New Year for people who are non-Jews? Right now, what is, why is this time important?
2: Well, it, it's in our blessing. Uh, you know, we don't say happy new year. We say L'shana Tova, which is a good year. We add L'shana Tova Umutuka, a good and sweet year. So we have to have some theory of the good. What's a good marriage? What's a good family? What's a good work environment? What's a good city? So when I say L'shana Tova, a year of the good, I say to people, let's all meditate on the good and then implement it. Yom Kippur, which starts uh, Sunday night, Monday, they call Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of this ten-day intensive. Yom Kippur is what's called the sealant. So I have this, I, like they say, Gemar, which is you know, may your year be like a like a like a seal on a letter. But I, I like to you know use the metaphor that we open up all this work, we do all this work by Yom Kippur, but we don't want to leak out. We don't want it to dissipate. So I say Yom Kippur is the sealant. This is staying intact. This, I'm going I'm to build it. I'm going to seal it. I'm going to put it in me, and it's going to guide me through a year. So we have a 10-day intensive called the 10 days of teshuva, the 10 days of turning. It begins with Rosh Hashanah, ends with Yom Kippur. The inner work, if you ask Finley, virtue, rationality, wisdom, and depth. I'm mostly focusing on depth this year because I haven't in other years. So I'm doing, as you know, I'm doing the realm of the soul at all of my talks. And by the time people are done, I want them to seal it. And, you know, uh, hopefully I'll spend them this next year keeping people uh, uh, um, uh, awake to the process of human transformation.
1: Thank you, Rabbi. Okay. Um, thank High you five. so much. Yeah. And I, hey, I did you. say Happy New Year, which is, see, this is my bad. My well, bad. Happy New Year is good. Year's bad, it's, it's my cool. bad Jew thing. <laughs>
2: No, well, no, it's, it's, it's colloquial, it's like, <laughs> but, but I'd rather people say Lashana Tova" and they'll say, "What does that mean?" Say, "Have a good year."
1: Have a good year, Rabbi Finley.
2: A good year to you okay. and all yours. Exactly. And I'll see I'm you. Leaving. I'll see you this weekend. And, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll see you. Soon. Okay. okay bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
1: Hey everybody, thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review Radical Musings to help other listeners find the show. And subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast to be alerted every time we post a new episode. Radical Musings is brought to you by Audio Up, produced by Krista and Carla Braun. Edited by Jeremiah Zimmerman. Production support provided by Ashley Ardent, Sam Winter, Tyler Dorson, Emma Rappold, and Richard Regal. Thank you all so much.
0: Hey, howdy do, y'all? I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me